Impact Series podcast, in which we share the experiences of social entrepreneurs and change makers around the world. Today, we're going to be talking about the organization Firefly International, which is a nonprofit that supports grassroots projects in post-conflict or conflict-ridden areas to help provide children with a safe and supportive space. I'm Delaney, joined by my co-host, Vandana. Today, we are honored to have guest Jeremy Wildman on our call. Jeremy is a trustee with Firefly International who volunteers on a daily basis supporting the Firefly director to manage, strategize, and fundraise. He has 15 years of experience in teaching and designing education projects, conducting research in international affairs, and running humanitarian and development aid projects in conflict. How are you, Jeremy? Good. How are you doing? Well. Great. So can you share with us the story of Firefly's founding and mission? Yeah, it has a almost a two-part um, founding, we can say. Um, it began in 1998 when our, our founder, Ellie Maxwell, um, was in Bosnia during the conflict there uh, while her father was a peacekeeper. And she established what was called at the time the Firefly Youth Project, which later became two organizations, Svitash, in, which is now in Birchko, Bosnia, and Firefly International, which is our British charity. Now during that, I'm gonna go back to her experience. When she was there, she was an aid worker in Bosnia and through her experiences, she, she came to believe that uh, shared creative activities and contact with the outside world play an important role in reducing tensions in what was a very sectarian, uh, violent conflict. So after the war, Ellie continued that work with music, arts, language classes, and various activities for children in refugee camps. This was in, at the time, Croatia and Bosnia, as, as the borders were a bit more fluid. And eventually, over time, it became uh, a more established sort of project in a town called Birchko in the northeast of Bosnia. And it's a very special town in the sense that it's 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 went back to and, and retained its very multi-ethnic uh, character in Bosnia, reflecting what what Yugoslavia once was. And Firefly and Svitash, particularly the, uh, the the Bosnian charity that that came out of this, has played a really important role in in continuing to reinforce that uh, multi-ethnic character in that community. So this is way back in 1998-99. This was happening. Unfortunately, about 10 years later, uh, Ellie Maxwell died early of cancer. And what happened was, rather than sort of allowing the charity to just continue, maybe to even peter out and, and not be able to support the uh, partner in Bosnia, uh, people such as myself and some of her family and friends became more involved and sort of worked on a redevelopment of Firefly to expand its work to work in more regions. In my case, I founded a, a charity in the West Bank, city of Nablus, with Palestinian colleagues that is, is quite a large organization and, and has very similar uh, structure in the sense of working with youth, development, helping uh, reach out to different communities around the world and internally in, in, in the Palestinian territories. And we had partnered with uh, Firefly just just as Ellie was getting ill. So I was already connected to the charity and stepped in for a couple of years to help work with the others, the other trustees, after having been a trustee myself briefly, 
to to strengthen Firefly and to expand its work. So we strengthen we we sort of upped our relationship as Firefly with Project Hope in Nablus. This is this is the charity that I had helped to establish in order to work with youth there through English classes, French classes. We're supporting all these ongoing activities, uh, creative arts. It's quite a large program there. And since then, we've begun work with Syrian refugees, particularly helping uh, a refugee named Fadia, in, who's now in Atakia, Turkey, to develop her own youth development center. So our mission as, as a charity is to support locally-led projects in conflict and post-conflict regions that create safe, supportive, and inclusive spaces for young people to, as we say, to learn, thrive, and grow. And our focus right now is on the three regions I've mentioned, uh, Bosnia, with Palestinians, and with Syrians, refugees. And what's really important for us is we, we support local leadership. So typically we've gotten involved in regions where we've met, we've identified or worked with a, a local social entrepreneur who wants to provide something for their community, provide something for the youth in their community, and we've provided them with resources, uh, organization know-how, and other means of support to develop their own program, which we we then want to see them establish as their own charity that we just help long-term. So local leadership is, is vital to everything we do. Wow, that's okay. really an amazing and inspiring story. Um, your story, especially about taking her idea and like forming something amazing out of it, uh, I think that's incredible. Um, and you've mentioned some of them, but what are some of the other highlights and accomplishments of Firefly, your branch with Palestine and other branches of Firefly since founding? I don't know. It's it, it looked. I, I, it's it's kind of a difficult <laughs> question yeah. to answer because I feel, I feel like there's been so many. Considering each region has had its its own major accomplishments, it's, they're really hard places to work in their own unique ways. Um, I mean, the the main point is, especially with the Palestinian one and the Bosnian one, we've been able to see lives shaped now for almost 20 years in the case of Bosnia and nearly as long in, in Palestine uh, with Palestinians. Uh, I think the fact that each of the organizations that we've focused on supporting, they, they've went from not existing to becoming important players in their local communities. Uh, in the case of Birchko and Nablus, the organizations we support are two of the most important organizations in their cities. They're really important to the social fabric there. So they support the community and they support the youth there on, on a massive scale with very modest funding. And, and we're seeing very positive signs that the same can happen for Syrian refugees in, in the Turkish city we're supporting them in. I mean, the fact that we were able to help a Palestinian uh, organization to establish itself during the really violent second intifada, yeah. and all the restrictions on the ground—that—that's remarkable. In Bosnia, after such a, a vicious civil war, working between communities, I mean, that's that's really something quite amazing as well. And it's really not easy to work with Syrian refugees. 
at the moment either. So I guess we like taking on these big challenges and supporting people in in the most difficult circumstances, and that's that's accomplishment to be quite proud of. Definitely, yeah, it's really incredible. So could you give us a brief overview of the projects Firefly is currently running? Yeah, and, and I think it's important to say we, even though I, I don't like to say we're currently running, we're supporting because we're not running them. Our, our really our, our our structure is to support local partners, and the only thing we're running is our our own sort of organization in the UK to then support those partners. So our focus right now is on our three major partners in in Bosnia, um, in the West Bank and in the uh, city of Antakya, the Syrian refugees there. And in each case, they sort of have unique needs. Um, in the case of, of, of Bosnia, one of the needs, is, sort of the situation is that even though it's now almost 20 years since the civil war and it's sort of immediate after effects, the, the, the conditions in Bosnia are not great. The economy never really recovered. There is constant ethnic tension in, in, in Bosnia and it's not easy to keep working there. So at the same time though, there's not a lot of attention paid by donors to a region that just doesn't get a lot of media attention. So one of our major challenges is finding resources for our, our um, partner in Bosnia because it is really much more difficult to find funding for them than for, let's say, Palestinians or Syrians. The other thing we are really supporting them with is they they are always looking for international volunteers, and we're really making an effort to encourage Canadians and Americans to volunteer there now with, with Svitash. It's a very beautiful country, a very great experience, and it's probably the easiest organization to work with of the ones we work with. Now, in the case of, of Nablus, they're also always recruiting international volunteers, and they have quite a they they get they have quite a big sort of volunteer program. So they have fewer problems recruiting volunteers because there's a lot of interest in Palestine. They also have a, a, a sort of uh, Arabic language program for internationals wanting to learn Arabic on a semi-formal basis, but one-on-one -on -one with tutors. We're often helping them to design funding proposals, though, to raise funds for their, their large program. They work with hundreds of kids every month, and they work with over 60 local partners. So that takes a lot of time. Um, our having the personnel to help them write complex mm -hmm. grant proposals is one of the greater challenges with Project HOPE. Then we are really um, focused on raising funds for the refugees in Antakya. There's just so many refugees and the the, the, lo the program there is, is, is fantastic. Uh, Fadi has developed some amazing science programs that I wish I had had growing up in rural Canada, <laughs> like learning about DNA and um, just uh, creative means of learning maths. They've, they've got a lot of talent there and, and, and ideas for programs, really the main thing we're supporting them with to, to work with the youth there is um, funding. So and that, that's a lot of lot of work. A lot of overall between all the partners, often what they most need is funding and 
to a certain extent volunteers. In the case of the Syrian case, we don't recruit volunteers. I'll just add too, in, in the case of the Syrian refugees, they are targeting a specific community and this is children who have to work and who are not living in refugee camps, but just living in the city. So they don't have access to the same programs that refugees have. So life is not great as a refugee. It's probably even maybe even tougher for the children living in cities who are then forced to work. Many of them have missed education for several years now. Their families, they're, they're in an emergency situ situation. They've needed their children to work to survive. And in many cases, they thought the situation would be temporary. Who in Syria would have thought the civil war would drag on like it did. So there's a really acute need to work with these, these young people. Because like each program is so complex that they have that we could <laughs> probably spend an hour talking about <laughs> what each one is doing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and given your extensive focus in the Middle East and other areas that are kind of, um, they have complicated relationships with education, can you describe some of the attitudes towards education or the responses you've seen in those communities in the programs you support? Yeah, they have a voracious hunger for education. I think so many people see um, school as a way to improve their circumstances. It's, 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 yeah. And I, I go back to being a fellow North American. I feel like school has sort of, it, it, there's not the same sort of fight to be educated amongst youth in North America as there is, as I've seen amongst uh, youth in the Middle East. It, it's, mm -hmm. it's really important to them, really important to their families. Uh, so there's sort of an endless demand for anything our partners can support and for us to support our partners. Also, there's a very interesting int uh, amongst these youth is an interest in the outside world. They're, maybe it's common everywhere, but they're very, very interested in being connected to uh, foreigners and, and seeing other ways of lives and learning about what it's like in other countries. I think it's probably in no small measure due to the restrictions on their own movement and just how difficult their own societies are. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um... So clearly Firefly focuses in areas that are torn up or affected by major conflicts. And the many charities similarly focusing on these areas face really serious difficulties. And we recently came upon an article that discussed like a charity that completely lost contact with the village they were supporting in a conflict-ridden area. So we were wanting to know, has Fireflies have had um, any similar experiences and how are they being dealt with or how were they dealt with? Yeah, I, I, I know by email you'd mentioned something about this village, and I was wondering if it's an, this is an organization in the UK that we know that had uh, lost contact with the village they were supporting, and, uh, and we were just chatting internally. I think it's, there's been a number of cases like this. Um, so each, each, each has its unique problems of, of the regions we're working in, and we definitely focus on the most difficult places to work and often where it's even because it's so hard to work there those communities might not even have support from international NGOs wanting to uh, improve lives for people in these in these conflict and post-conflict regions in the case of the Syrian refugees we're working with one of the great challenges is the fluidity and that is there's a constant movement of people from region to region. Mm -hmm. So the, ch the children are constantly moving, the people are constantly moving. 
it can be very difficult to support a, a program in one spot due to this movement and also dealing with the numbers of people coming in. Anything for Syrian refugees too, there is a host government that will have its own unique relationship to them or its own unique, our own sort of, their own challenges to work with as a government. So in the case of uh, Syrian refugees in Turkey, it's been a very uh, challenging political time in Turkey as well with the coup that happened just last year and uh, the sort of suspicion around foreign NGOs and, and the legitimate concerns about caution and security by the Turkish government uh, of people working with refugees. So those can be very difficult to work with. If we wanted to work in Syria, I mean, we really can't. It's, it's, it's very challenging, very dangerous. We could maybe support a group working there, but for now we focus on the refugees on the outside. In the case of the Palestinians, there are really extreme Israeli rules, um, restrictions on movement, and, and a real uh, there can be a real hostility towards foreigners who are showing support for Palestinians. So that is quite a challenging place to work on its own too. Um, in the case of Bosnia, there's a lot fewer restrictions. That's probably the easier place to work in, um, but there are quite a few local government. Um, sort of administrative issues that make work challenging there. There's a lot of administration. It's very admin heavy. Yeah, definitely. Um, and in these areas that are hard to reach like on their own, how do you guys measure impact? And do you use certain metric or tools um, to quantify and evaluate your impact um, when it's even yeah. hard to get to the area you're supporting? Yeah, it, this is this is quite a, a challenge for anybody working uh, in development work, and that is mm -hmm. the re the reporting that you need to um, show to your donors that they've been funding something, and also to in our case the UK government just for um, regulate re regulatory measures. They keep track of what you're doing as a charity. Uh, in our case, we're registered with the Scottish government, the Scottish regional government. Well, <laughs> and it also, on, it's, it, it, this this is really such. A, this is actually one of the biggest challenges in this field of work because you need to get to, you need to somehow show that you're having an impact. Yeah. And convince, convince your donors to, or potential donors to to fund what's happening. You have to make it look like you're having that. You have to convey the importance of your program mm -hmm. and what, what your colleagues are doing. The other point is that locally, in our case, uh, in Bosnia or Palestinians or Syrians, you have to convey upon them and sort of train them in how to record that data and, and show why it's important. And this is a constant struggle. It's really, really hard. Yeah. Uh, boring and hard at the same time. We keep we, we help keep a lot of quantitative data that is reasonably easy. So numbers to show how many kids have been in a certain activity or how many activities are taking place or which towns you've worked in. This has been relatively easy off and on over the years. I, I find we find it very easy in Bosnia maybe because there's such a, a administrative culture left over from when it was communist. Um, the most challenging with our Palestinian partners who you really have to struggle with constantly to get data, um, and it's it's a common problem in the city we're working in amongst NGOs in Nablus. 
the other point is that, and I can say this as a researcher, is that the qualitative data is what really matters. And this is not just the numbers, but the experiences or the impact that programs like this have mm -hmm. on youth. It's very difficult to measure. Um, you can always argue about what measurement is the most useful. And I say this as a, as a researcher at a major UK university working on development topics. Uh, it's, a, it's especially hard also for a charity with limited resources and, and charities that are always stretched thin by demand to be active, not to be recording their data. How do you show the impact of your program, maybe psychologically, developmentally, on youth? Also, how do you measure it over a short-term span? say one to three years like a donor often gives you money rather than what's really important 10 20 30 years of, of, of a young person's life and, and how they develop as an adult we try but we do our best and, and, and sort of one of the innovations we came up with then is to have as many sort of narrative reports as we can to complement the numbers so describe the experiences of the people and to capitalize on social media to show to share the to sort of act as a window on, the, on, on what's happening in each of the regions to show the impact of, of the programs that our, our partners are running. But yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's a constant struggle. I'm sure. So um, as you look into the future, where do you see Firefly five or ten years from now? In the short term, we're working with a Canadian partner in, called Alternatives with whom we would like to help more Syrians develop centers um, in the Middle East for youth similar to what we've been supporting in Antakya. So we're working with them in out of Canada and, and trying to find funding for maybe a series of five to ten centers. That'd be quite a great project uh, if it could take off. Long term, in general, we would like to see ourselves still working with our existing partners, sharing their, their journey with them. And ideally, working with several more partners, because we spend so much time working with each partner and developing their, their, helping them to help as an organization, we can only take on so many at a time, and it's very intensive work. But we would like to see ourselves working with more, more people in similar circumstances in conflict and post-conflict regions in the world, maybe even outside of the. Uh, Southwest Asia, Middle East, Near East, however we want to call the, the regions. Yeah. Um, and so you mentioned earlier that some of the projects you support take volunteers. Um, what are some ways like that that people can get involved with Firefly and, and just help you guys help other people? Yeah, there's, there's fantastic volunteer experiences, both with our Bosnian and Palestinian partners. They're two of the most advanced uh, organizations to volunteer within their respective regions. Their websites can be found through our website and they manage all the volunteer recruitment. We support them in that, but we've helped them to take over the entire sort of management of volunteers themselves. I, the, I would say that uh, the Bosnian one is a little bit more simple to go and volunteer at. Um, the Palestinian one is more sort of a live experience as, as we are seeing that uh, the conflict there uh, still ongoing. In the case, in each case, 
it's really important to remark that it's a very rich experience for the people who volunteer themselves. I mean, they you you often learn so much. It's it's a, it's tough to gauge if you're able to give back as much as you're able to learn yourself. But it, overall, it's a very rich experience for everyone involved. And in the cases of these partners, they they really appreciate that interaction with foreigners and 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 that sharing of experiences. And it also helps contextually with regions that are experiencing difficulties of conflict based on, on identity. Uh, in the case of, of the Syrian refugees, we don't, uh, for various reasons at the, at the moment, um, have any means to help people to volunteer. You can find our partners on our own website, which is fireflyinternational.org, and each one, there's, it, it's very easy to look up how to volunteer. That's great. Um, your story was really inspiring, and we're so thankful that you could join us today for our Impact Series podcast. Uh, we look forward to seeing the developments of Firefly in the years to come.